Living books have been the secret sauce to teaching all kinds of subjects in our homeschool. But when we first started homeschooling, I had no idea what a living book was. Over the years, I've learned to pick out those living books, the ones that will really engage my children and are written by authors that are passionate about their subject. But I wanted to invite one of the people that I've learned a lot about living books and Charlotte Mason onto the podcast today, Miss Leah Bowden, the modern Miss Mason. Hi, I'm Paige Hudson, and you're listening to the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, where we're breaking down the lofty ideals of teaching science into building blocks you can use in your homeschool. Please help me welcome Miss Leah Bowden, the modern Mason, the modern Miss Mason, to the Tips for Homeschool Science Show. She's been gracious enough to agree to be our very first guest on the podcast, um, but she has homeschooled her four kiddos from across the pond in the UK. She's the wife to Dave, she's a writer, she's an author, she's a speaker extraordinaire, and she is the leading authority on how to bring Miss Charlotte Mason's work into the modern era. So Leah, thank you for agreeing to join us. Thank you for having me, Paige. It's nice to be with you. Not all the people who listen to the Tips for Homeschool Science show may know who Miss Charlotte Mason is. So can you tell us who was Charlotte Mason? Yes, I would love to introduce her to your listeners if they haven't heard who she is. So, so Charlotte Mason died 100 years ago. She, uh, We've just marked her centenary, actually, um, in January. And she was a revolutionary educator, British educator at the turn of the 20th century. Um, she she really saw the disparity between, um, I guess, the class system and education, how children were educated within the kind of upper and lower classes and what it looked like in Victorian Britain. So children were seen and not heard. If they were from a, a lower class, they would have kind of gone through the basics of some education uh, but then very early on in life brought into a trade family business um a factory work maybe something and if children had um better resources if their family had wealth there would be governesses and higher education and other opportunities and and through her life being a teacher from being in her teen years she was training to be a teacher um she began to see and really feel in the classroom, this isn't right. You know, children need to um, have this holistic experience, no matter what their background is, that there should be an education for all. And she talked about, she used the term, you know, a liberal education, not in a political sense, but in a wide and varied sense. And so she began to observe and pick up on this was going on in the country. And as she really wasn't until she was in her kind of mid forties, um, began to write about it and talk about it. And she gave a series of lectures, uh, which then became Home Education, which is the first book that we know of in the series. I mean, Paige, you can see behind me on this video, I've got these little mm -hmm. pink books behind me. They're yeah. the six books, you know, they're these volumes of books. So, so she then really in the second half of her life became this incredible advocate for children, a spokesperson for this living education that we understand today and um, kind of offered this alternative approach to childhood and education, which in turn impacted motherhood as well because mothers were learning to come alongside their children in their education so um 
Yeah, quite brilliant, really. And quite brilliant that, that, was, that we're still talking about it today. Yeah, for sure. So if you could take one thing, what would you say is the single most important idea from her educational philosophy? Um, I would say that the primary one for me would be her first principle, which was children are born persons. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a funny way of saying it nowadays, but they're, they're basically, she had this understanding, this foundational understanding that children come into the world whole and with personalities and ready to be able to connect and contribute to the world. And often there was a, a, a kind of a, uh, I guess, a, a narrative around childhood going round, which we, some people still believe today that children are like a vessel to be filled. Uh, we know they're almost, they're empty and we get to fill them. Or they're like a, a lump of clay that we get to mold and shape. And where was what Charlotte Mason was saying was actually they are made in the image of God, they're whole, they come ready into the world. So whether, you know, whether we receive a child through adoption, through birth, when you're holding that child, they are able to connect and, and, and contribute to the world. And that then really sets the tone for education. Now, mm -hmm. you know, for the, so this is where things like um, living books, introducing them to, to nature outdoors, this kind of foundations of scientific discovery. All these things are, are not shoving ideas in their head, but we're introducing children to an incredible world of literature, science, discovery, creativity, and we get to immerse them in it and then say, hey, what do you think? What, do, what, what have you seen? What have you heard? And it's very much an inside out approach to education, whereas traditional education spoon feeds. Um, mm -hmm. A Charlotte Mason education asks of the child, hey, why don't you contribute to this and tell me what you see? It's so wonderful and it's so oh. liberating. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Rather than spoon feeding them stuff, we're actually wanting them to uh, take part and have an input in their education, which really, in my That's opinion, right. sets, sets them up for future learning to have this idea of learning for life, not just for the 12 years or whatever, Absolutely. however many years they're in the school system. So that's one of the reasons I like Charlotte Mason. I'm glad that's you brought right. that up. <laughs> so with her uh, yeah, educational yeah. philosophy in a back, as a backdrop, uh, how would you define a living book? Yeah, great question. Um, it's often one of those things that I think people think, well, okay, I, I'm starting to understand the philosophy, but where mm. do I start to find these resources? So she used um, the term living in, in, in a very scientific way. It was a very organic word, which mm. is basically there's a, there's a giving and taking from, from the resource. So it's not just books. She talked about living books and things. So we could add mm. experiments into that. We can add uh, creativity into that. It's fantastic. But if you're looking for, a, you know, books to use to introduce subjects and ideas to our children, we're really looking for something that doesn't look like a textbook. And that is a really easy way to start. Um, you know, textbooks have their place. I, I, and she often, you know, later as children got older with things like grammar and things like that, she would often use them. It's, it's not, I think it's a bit of a myth that she never picked them up. But when you're looking for living books, that's the first kind of an easy thing to look for is the, you know, does, is this a book that is full of colored pictures that gives lists of facts and information? 
Okay, this is not a living book. And it's good to be able to cancel those out first. And what you're looking for is a book that has often, generally, one passionate author. So you read the first couple of pages and you are caught up in the story, in the narrative of whatever they're trying to teach. And I always say to people, do a one, two page test. If you happen to be in a bookshop or a library, it's a bit different because we shop often online, don't we, for books nowadays. But you read that one, two page, you know, read the first couple of pages. And, and even online, you can read, often dip into the books now and you can read a bit. And mm-hmm. does it grip you? Does it make you want to read on? Uh, one of the things that I think is important is if you read a couple of paragraphs, could you put the book down and tell somebody else what you'd read? Not parrot fashion, but could you reiterate mm-hmm. the essence of what you've just read? This is very much, you know, um, then working with narration, which is another one of Charlotte Mason's methods. And so those things are some of the great tools. And, and nowadays, I'm, I think it's important to be looking at, um, you know, do, can your children find themselves in the story, you know, or can mm. we see other cultures and a window into other people's lives? And, you know, not every book will have that, but it's a really good question in the 21st century to be mm. asking of the books that we're using for our children. And so these are some of the ideas. And once you, Charlotte Mason said, we need to learn to discern what a living book is. So, you know, she had programs, but really what she wanted us to do was you figure it out, you know, you find out what brings life to your home you know what what books do your children fall in love with what are they able to talk about afterwards these are really keys to understanding what a living book is and living books can be found about and they can cover science literature um you know geography history um the arts i mean you can find them about everything and it's incredible and it's one of those things that once you tap into it you start to recognize them everywhere so it Mm -hmm. took me a few years i relied on other people's lists for a while but that didn't always work for me sometimes i'd get a book off a list and i and it just didn't work for my children Mm -hmm. and this is when i began to think okay i need to learn this I need to, I need to gain this skill myself so that I can start to look for the books. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the beginnings really. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's fantastic about, um, all the stuff that you put out, the website, your book, um, your podcast is you really encourage us as educators to seek that out for ourselves, to determine what that is for our family, you know, and that it's not just this prescribed set of criteria but to look for what will work for your children and your family, because it's unique as homeschoolers were all very unique, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's a great thing. It's something to be celebrated. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you tips to help us pick living books, but you gave those to us, didn't you? Look for authors that are passionate oh, sorry. about what they're saying. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That's great. Yes. So, and, and look for <laughs> things that interest us. And I love your idea of that, uh, you know, read it a little bit, read a few pages and see what you think and see if it interests you. Because if it's not grabbing you right away, it's most likely not going to grab your children's attention either. And I find too, when I'm passionate about a book, then that translates to my, my children, you know, it's a lot easier if I don't like a book. If if you're, yeah. 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 If you're bored and you're kind of like dreading picking it up, then the children are going to feel that even more. So it's a very good sign that it's probably one you should put away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a certain series. I won't name it because people will probably 
uh, crucify me for not liking it. But there's a certain series that everybody's like, oh, you have to. <laughs> we read all want this. to you know now. <laughs> no, yeah, everybody wants to know. I'm not telling you. Um, and I can't stand <laughs> the books. And so we've never read them. Yeah. Aloud. I'm sorry. My kids are missing out on on that. But, you know, what do you do? Yeah, we've had we've had the same. We've tried books that everybody else has raved about and you know there's uh I'm not a I'm not much of a bandwagon kind of person anyway. I don't yeah. jump on things quickly. But there's been a, a series or two that other people have everybody else's kids seem to love it and mine just don't they have not enjoyed it. And I think well that's just, we just should celebrate our uniqueness, you know, it's fine. Yeah. I don't love all the same books that my friends love. So, mm -hmm. you know, there, there we go. <laughs> That's why there's so many wonderful books out there. <laughs> when True. you guys read these living books, how do you discuss them with your children? Because you mentioned narration being uh, one of the hallmarks of mm. Charlotte Mason's philosophy. So how do you guys go about discussing a living book? Do you do it as you're reading? Do you finish, you know, once you finish the book or how do you handle that? Yeah, so narration is, is one of, uh, was and is one of the main tools really for a Charlotte Mason education. It's a method um, that ties everything together and makes everything work and um, takes some practice and some understanding, but it's worth giving the time to. Um, and for me, it's one of the most powerful parts of the Charlotte Mason philosophy. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's just really what it is in simplicity is, is telling back what you have heard, seen, read, listened to, whatever. So you, it, it isn't just about the books. It can be uh, looking at a piece of art, listening to a piece of music. And then as you step away, can you retell that experience to somebody else? Can you describe it? Can you explain it? And what happens in the retelling is that you, you and the child forms a relationship with the, with the, with the knowledge. And, uh, you know, not everything is remembered, but some of that, as you begin to retell it, you know, we all know, a lot of us know that you when you teach something you learn it more than ever ever you know you ever can it goes deeper so the more you know for me for years and years and years I've been teaching these elements of the Charlotte Mason philosophy and I could talk about it in my sleep now just because I'm telling people about it and so you imagine that same process with your child so they read uh, you either you read depending on the age of the child this looks different so with young children from about the age of six you know your reader a small paragraph to them and uh, or a short page of a, of a book and then you'll put the book down and say okay let's let's talk about what that you know you some the classic thing is to say tell me back what I just read I never really stuck to things like that or even use the word narration I think it yeah. has to be natural so I'm like all right let's talk about this you know and you just you open the floor for discussion and for them telling you, well, I loved it when this happened and then the character did this and then mm -hmm. they found this new land and da, 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 and they just start talking. And what can happen then is that it just becomes normal that you mm -hmm. talk about things after a, after a reading. Now, once you've introduced it to the child at a young age, you've got the beauty of it growing with them and the method grows with them. So you can mm -hmm. add the more formal element to it then as the child gets older. So you might read a history book. Um, some little tips for that is um, if you've got dates or 
places that are difficult to pronounce, then, you know, I've just got like, um, you know, a, a whiteboard, a wipe clean board or something like, or even a piece of paper. And you just jot down those things on a piece of paper. So this is the year and this is the spelling of this name. Because what happens, the brain concentrates so hard on trying to remember that date that you just don't listen to everything else. So you right. kind of um, eliminating some of those barriers for them by writing some of that information down you'll read the text you'll read the history story or whatever it is you're reading and then again hey let's talk about this what happened to Richard III or whatever and you start to talk about it with these little prompts that you've got and it just helps them you're not trying to trip them up or, or te you know you're not, you're not trying to um, help them fail <laughs> you know watching for what they don't know you're excited about what they do know and what they have mm. heard. Um, and then as they get older, they can then turn that those oral narrations into written narrations. So they start to write those things down. And then as they get into their teen years, they can start to form compositions from those. So there's this beautiful gradual progression of depth and richness of learning that comes from this very simple method. And as I say, you can apply it to anything. And also yeah. just to, to throw in as well, you can get creative with this. So if children are quite young, they might build Lego reenactments of something. They may act it out. They might draw yeah. a picture of a history thing they've just you know read about. So get creative with it. Do whatever yeah. you think will bring this learning to life for your children. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Um, it's more about bringing it to life for them rather than you checking off a box. I tend to be very analytical little check yep. boxes make me just really happy. <laughs> so for me, like the introduction <laughs> into Charlotte Mason and bringing it into this world has really helped me just kind of relax that, uh, that side of me and be more about enjoying the experience and bringing that richness to our children's education. And, uh, yeah. So I 100% agree <laughs> with the, and the progression too. I don't know if your kids have all, all been the same, but they both went through that progression differently, you know? So one of them was ready to write mm. pretty soon. The other one yeah. still doesn't like to write. <laughs> so, but, and that's fine. Yeah. That's the beauty all of mine have been quite different. Yeah. Allows yeah. us to do that. You just, so. yeah, all mine, all mine have been very, very different and they've all had different approaches over the years and different responses to it. Some were just not ready. I mean, if, if ever there's tears over narration, overwritten narrations, I'm like, pause, this is, you're not ready for this. Right. With one child, I waited a whole year before I approached it again. Um, they were just in tears over trying to do these written narrations. I just stopped it altogether, took it off the table, just said like, okay, we're not going to do this. We kept on yeah. with the oral narrations. And really what I learned there was, I mean, you shouldn't, it's best not to tackle written narrations until your child is uh, fluent and fluid with their oral narrations. That's a really good mm -hmm. telltale sign. Um, but even with this particular child, it was the translating it from the head and speaking it out into paper, which needed some more work. And so we yeah. waited a whole year, revisited it. And by then they were just writing reams and reams and reams, <laughs> couldn't stop them. So timing is everything. And I think being kind to the child and to the whole family around this is, you know, take yeah. off the pressure, don't push through, just pause and then persevere with them as a person rather than the task. And I think that's right. really important. Yeah, that is really good. 
So do you and your family, have you enjoyed any specific living books for science? Since this is the Tips for Homeschool Science show. So do you have any recommendations that you have? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, the foundation of scientific study within the Charlotte Mason philosophy is nature study. And which I think is great because we've Mm -hmm. built upon that over the years. And as they got older, we we introduced more uh, uh, scientific discovery and experiments. Mm -hmm. We started to go into like more physics and chemistry. Um, But you know, I love those beginnings. I love the idea of them exploring nature and mm. them learning observation skills, reporting skills, recording mm. skills. And so some of the books that I've absolutely loved um, with with at that stage um, have, I'm looking to my right because I should have had them next to me, Paige. I'm so sorry I failed you. But they really were, um, some of those were, were nature sort of themed books um mm. and more of those kind of biological plant biology and those mm. but made in a really lovely way very much about observational skills recording a little bit of kind of looking at the inside of leaves and flowers um yeah. but also very seasonal um so um they were really fantastic i love books like that i've always had loads of um uh, field guides. I mean, I always saw those as quite science books for me as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but as the kids have got older and we, yeah, and we've discovered different things. Um, uh, I'm just looking at a couple of books now. We've got a book called The Disappearing Spoon, which is mm-hmm. a very much a, for older kids. Um, yes which is about the periodic table of elements. So that mm-hmm. was quite an interesting one. Um, there's another one, one called The Joy of Chemistry, which again mm-hmm. is jumping back into into those older years. You probably know that one. Yeah. Yeah, some of those older books are, they're fun to look at when you go back yeah. and, and see how many advances there's been in chemistry yes. since then. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And some of our practical um we discovered some kind of really practical hands-on experiment books um, by, I think she's an American author, a lady. I'm trying to remember what her name was now. But that she she had these books where they were just very simply like explaining an experiment and get, mm-hmm. kind of putting the power into the children's hands to do that discovery. We used a lot of those. And um, I we would do, in fact, for a little while. Yeah, is that, what's her name? Janice Van Cleef. Yes, that's them. And she has one for each that's one. That's her. Yeah. They're the ones. <laughs> yep, love those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the ones. Well done, Paige. I'm keep. I'm looking to my left because I've got a science section on my shelf, but um, my eyes aren't that good. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. The older you get, the eyes go. <laughs> Mine do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wearing contacts as well. Terrible. Um, so yeah, we found those really helpful because uh-huh. she really just empowers the child, doesn't she, and the person who's doing right. it to to yeah, do that experiment. Sure. And we use a lot of those. So, so for a whole for a whole year, we gathered with four or five families to do science experiments together Mm -hmm. and that was fun and then the other thing we did was um we explored the the periodic table of elements together and the kids Mm -hmm. would take away one of the elements every week and they would study it at home and then the next week they would do like a mini presentation um like a narration and Uh then the kids would all hear from each other so we've tried so many fun fun. things with science um but it's great and it just kind of then 
opens up then my my eldest daughter went on to do all sciences in fact um in sixth form before she she graduated yeah she did all sciences um which which is amazing really because you just think wow all we did really was introduce many aspects of it and she took that she took that even further so um you never know where your children are going to take it yeah i think there's this um kind of fallacy in the ideas that nature study is not enough for science. But really, if you look back Mm. in history, that's how science began was with nature study. You know, people asking and seeing things in nature and wondering why this is happening. So I think um, nature study can be a wonderful base uh, for the beginning of science education. It's, It's really great. But it is great. I love the questions that uh, that John Muir's law yeah, yeah. Is it John? John Muir. John that's Muir. how you say his name. John. I love the questions that he asks. He he talks about I, I. It reminds me of mm-hmm. I. Um, I have to find it. In my book. I did write them in the book. Um, yeah. I notice. I wonder. It reminds me of. And those questions. Uh-huh. That's how science begins, isn't it? Right. Anything yeah, really? Like, why does this happen? Sure. How does this work? Yeah. This reminds me of, and I I love all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, instilling that in our kids is really super important to get them to wonder, to notice things. Um, that's how we create future scientists. So yeah, I've definitely, but tell me about this, your book. I have been slowly savoring it. I love the butterfly on the front, by the way, awesome cover. Um, but I've been slow, slowly <laughs> savoring a chapter at a time. Even this, I've been homeschooling for, oh, I don't know, 20 plus years now. And um, yeah. Even I'm picking up things in it. It's wonderful. Very encouraging book. Um, I love how you say uh, curriculum or no, sorry, connection over curriculum. That's uh, been a big uh, feeling of mine from the beginning too. that idea that we've got to um, emphasize our connection with our kids over the to do box or the curriculum or um, whatever we're doing. But yeah, so tell us a little bit more about how your book came about and where people can get it and that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the book is available now everywhere you can buy books from. It should be anyway, definitely in the US and North America. It's it's uh, widely available there. Um, and the book came about really after many, many years of, of my, you know, me home educating and being a, a student myself of Charlotte Mason's work and a practitioner of her methods and i think after after years of doing this and then starting to share uh, doing workshops speaking at conferences you know doing starting the podcast all these kind of things that i started to do that i was recognizing patterns of response and patterns of what people were saying this is so helpful to me this is so life-giving so even the phrase that i'll often say about finding your freedom within the philosophy. I think Mm -hmm. I hadn't realized how many barriers there were. People were creating these like sticking Mm -hmm. points of, you know, feeling like I should do this or I must do this and this has to be right. And the whole tick box kind of, if I get all these things done, I'm doing it right. And there's nothing wrong with ticking things off lists. I I, I like a list. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's the feeling of feeling constrained by something rather than it being life-giving was what I was discovering. And so after, you know, after many years of, of kind of, it's almost like data, you start doing coaching and doing workshops and all this kind of stuff. You recognize these patterns in people's lives and in people's homeschools. 
that I just thought, you know what, we need to bring some, something needs to be published in the, you know, now that will mm -hmm. help um, change this way, this way of thinking around this philosophy. And because mm -hmm. with, there, you know, there, there's a whole, there are six books that Charlotte, you can read of Charlotte Mason's work, but some people will home educate and they will never read these books. They just won't. Yeah. That's just not going to be something they do, but they might pick up this when they yeah. pop into Barnes and Noble or whatever. They might go, Oh, I want to read that. And so yeah. I think it's good to have both right. to have something available. And so, um, you know, I had, beautiful well well-meaning people saying you should be writing you should write you should write and so after a while it, and you know the connection the right connections just suddenly happened at the right time uh for mm -hmm. me to be able to get a literary agent which was amazing and then the ball starts rolling um of this idea of this book and you know all it takes is one publisher to say we want to get behind this and and mm -hmm. uh and that was it was just really exciting to be able yeah. to actually put this out into into the world and you know the encouraging thing Paige is that similar to you I've had many of the fellow kind of veteran home educators who have been saying mm -hmm. um you know they read it because they were kind of curious about it mm -hmm. but not reading it thinking it would be helpful to them or or have anything particularly for them and what they're yeah. finding is oh you put it in a different way or right. there's a refreshing element about this so especially there's a whole third of the book is on motherhood mm -hmm. and that is quite unique for a charlotte mason book i know we've got books on mother culture um, but she wasn't a mother. So often people, you don't go to Charlotte Mason to learn about motherhood. Mm -hmm. But there was something she had to say about the ones who were taking the responsibility of the child's education. Hey, you need to be continuously learning as well. And mm -hmm. so it's those aspects that have really kept it alive for me. And I wanted to put that in the book as well. Um, yeah. So it's got three sections, childhood, motherhood and education. Obviously, it's still... Um, it's still not so much scratching the surface, but there's just an element that I was able to, to bring into, uh, whatever it is, 200 pages. Um, but I tried as much as possible to listen to those mm. I've been working with, to listen to those I've been coaching, to listen to the, the wider community and to bring, you know, to, 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 to offer a book that maybe would help this next generation of home educators and refresh those of us who have been here for a while. For sure. I think that's exactly what it does. <laughs> Great job. Well done. Thank you. Um, where can Thank people you. find you online? Yeah, I'm very easy to find. <laughs> where shall we send them? Um, if they type Modern Miss Mason into a mm -hmm. search engine, anything that comes up with will be me. So yeah. because the book's called that, but my Instagram handles called that, uh, my yeah. website. So leahbowden.com and modernmissmason.com both kind of end up in the same place. So yeah, mm -hmm. if they just pop Modern Miss Mason in and you'll be able to find me. My, and I've got a Facebook page, all that kind of stuff, but I'm mostly hanging out on Instagram. That's where I put fresh content up um, yeah. weekly. And obviously, I'm, the website's got everything on there. I do a membership um, called The Collective. Um, so that's up and running as of this year. That's going great. Um, so, yeah, people can come over and find me and come and join in with what we're doing. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the Tips for Homeschool Science show. And I hope, actually, I know that people will have gotten lots of nuggets of wisdom from our conversation. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Season 10 of the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, which is sponsored by our company, Elemental Science. At Elemental Science, we have several series of award-winning programs, including a series with living books to help you teach science. Sassafras Science Adventures will help you enjoy a journey as you learn about science. The newest installment of the Sassafras Science Series is coming out in April of 2023. This volume will be a journey through the periodic table. It's all about chemistry, which is my personal favorite subject. Head over to ElementalScience.com to learn more about the Sassafras Science Adventures and see how we can help you teach science at home.